0: This episode of Hot Possum Horror is brought to you by Friendly City Books, Columbus, Mississippi's independent bookstore. Learn more at FriendlyCityBooks.com. y'all welcome to another episode of hot possum horror i am your host rachel and with me today is caroline hello again hi so last time we talked about one of our favorite authors grady hendrix whose work we feel is a good introduction to the horror genre Mm -hmm. a good place to dip your toe into the dark water of horror (laughs) (laughs) Um, and today we're going to go a little bit deeper yes hold your breath um, we're going to be talking about Cassandra Call, an author who is on the rise and whose work is, I think, absolutely fantastic. Yes, they write, or so far have written two horror novellas that are very creepy. So, if you're coming from Grady Hendrix, just know this is a this is a step up, or or step down into the underworld, if you will. <laughs> um, in my opinion, these won't keep you up at night. Mm-hmm. However, we are getting into more subjective territory. So yeah. Just
1: be well, aware. I can say as a not regular horror reader, I do read some questionably messed up things, but <laughs> not usually horror. I can say that I read these and really enjoyed them and was not kept up at night. Yes. They are dark, but they are not um, nightmare fuel. Yeah. They're they're dark and very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So like
0: you're going to... Appreciate the artistry, right? That goes into Cass's writing, just absolutely gorgeous. So, uh, Cass's newest novella, "The Salt Grows Heavy," just came out. Yes, and it is oh, it is so good. It is delicious in more ways than one. Ooh! <laughs> um, if you like dark fairy tales, and I mean dark fairy tales, this is the story for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. A very interesting twist on the idea of The Little Mermaid. I'm not going to say it is a mm-hmm. retelling because it's not. It is.
1: Yeah. To me, it is The Little Mermaid and Frankenstein mixed with Lord of the Flies is the best way that I think. That I can describe it? Yes. I think that is accurate. Do you want to give us a little synopsis? Uh, sure. So the story starts with
0: this unnamed narrator who we quickly figure out is the mermaid. Mm-hmm. We're going to say mermaid. Um, we, we realize pretty quickly that her species is not confined to that label. Uh, but basically she has fled the kingdom where she was married to the prince because her... Daughters, who are also (laughs) of, um, how would you even put it? They are mer-hybrid demons? Maybe. They have literally eaten everybody in the kingdom.
1: Yes, they have reduced the kingdom to ash and rubble. And burning piles of bodies. And yeah, pieces of bone,
0: basically. So the only, besides the super hungry offspring, the two uh, characters that have made it out are the mermaid and... A plague doctor whose mm-hmm. name um, we don't get at this point either. Yes, and they're they're essentially walking through the forest to see where they may go, see what they might find. Mm-hmm. You know, being careful to avoid any other stragglers that may or may not come around. They run into a group of children who are hunting another child.
1: They're hunting a piggy, just yeah. like Lord of the Flies. Yes,
0: yes, yes. the inspiration is definitely there. Um, and so they follow the children back to their village where they find this really messed up system of three adults who have these children sort of enthrall in this. I don't want to say religious cult, but it's it's, uh, it's culty. It's very culty. Um, but then you get into experimentation and like body modification and surgery. Organ harvesting magic and like limb and organ regeneration it is a lot yeah you start to get into this uh, the ideas of you know consent how much do these kids understand do they really want what's happening to them and that's that's what you're getting into with the salt grows heavy
1: and I think too that with these kind of saints they call them these three yeah the kids the children
0: call them the saints the plague doctor calls them the surgeons
1: yes so these entities these adults that have basically brainwashed these children into uh, sort of harvesting their organs and experimenting on them um they it, it gives this kind of alchemy kind of vibe where mm-hmm. they're trying to Find immortal life like they are mortal beings trying to become immortal. And so many of these kind of like alchemy based stories, you find that these entities devolve deeper and deeper into darkness as they seek immortal life and that Mm -hmm. it just they lose their humanity in the process of becoming immortal.
0: Yes. And and they also with that, you get into this really interesting question of, you know, where in the body, if at all, does consciousness Live. How right. many modifications can you undergo, and still be you? Mm-hmm. And then, if you are a create a completely created sort of Frankenstein's monster type of being, where does your consciousness? Where is it? Where does it originate? How does it survive if you keep then getting modifications? And then, there's no like, there's no set answer. Obviously, right? It's just a really interesting exploration of
1: that idea Mm -hmm. i mean i can't people died in this book so many times and then boom next page they were there again like our mer person our main character they at one point like remove her nervous system in its entirety yeah she essentially is vivisected everything is out yeah, in her reaction, she's still completely conscious. She's like talking smack to the guy who's yes. doing it. And then is just like, oh, hey, come over here. Like lures him to her mouth and then bites him and attacks him. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, she has no real body at this point. But yet she is still this fighting force. Well, I, I think at that point it said all her organs
0: were like in jars beside mm-hmm. like lining her on the table, but they were still connected. So okay. that she wouldn't die. But during the fight things snap and break. Yeah. And Oh, that was just, uh.
1: there's a lot of, a lot of body gore in this book. Yeah. And body gore is one thing for me that I kind of stay away from a little bit. But this one I thought was so interesting because there is so much of that conversation of, um, your physical personhood, not necessarily representing your soul. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, you know, the plague doctor element of it, which I don't want to spoil things. Um, But there's also the mer person. I thought it was really cool. At one point, she's talking about how her people came to be and that the the human version of her people is a derivative, un- inaccurate representation of who they truly are but Mm -hmm. that there she describes her becoming herself and how when mer people or her people reproduce that like some are their father is a hurricane they're you know that basically they can kind of grab the essence of any entity And reproduce and create this new being that is a combination of those two things. It has like the magic of her people, but the power of, say, a hurricane, for example. Mm -hmm. And when we got to that part in the book, I thought back to her children and how her children were partially her, but they were also this greedy, evil representation of humanity and her husband yeah. that she reproduced with and so like it's not necessarily that her people are these evil entities that burn down this empire it's that her essence combined with the this evil man that she was married to and and had children with his essence combined and created this demonic sort of entity that was their children
0: yeah this that I, I didn't. I can't believe that didn't occur to me. Like you said, the the greed turning into this all-consuming physical hunger, mm-hmm. and, and and sort of talking about like you said the the way her species reproduces and evolves. I think at one point she even said something to the effect of they were primordial. Like mm-hmm. it gave the, the the impression that they still had like this essence of the original ancient magic mm-hmm. of the world, and so deep. In the sea, in the black, where they are undisturbed, their evolution has sort of split off from humanity in the sense that they can evolve much more quickly and uh, bring in all those elements and adapt. Like it's, it's much more of a magical evolution but with this like ancient magic vibe right i I thought that was so cool
1: yeah and i also feel like you know it's easy to pay attention to this magical entity that's right in front of us but i think the plague doctor is also a really really fascinating character
0: yes absolutely
1: and the, the plague doctors who we're referencing to when we say that this book has a, a Frankenstein kind of element to it. Uh, we learn that the plague doctor is more connected to this cult with these children than we initially know. And in many ways, the, the plague doctor to me was a representation of um, queerness and uh, gender identity and the the way that you can be one thing inside, one thing on the outside, and also exploring and putting those pieces together and finding out kind of who you are. I just It's hard for me to really put into words how this connected for me, but it really felt like The Plague Doctor was this really interesting, unapologetically dark exploration of gender. I I wanted to know
0: more about them which mm-hmm. I mean is always I think the mark of a great character but I thinking about it now it's I'm I'm thinking that the sort of lack of knowledge, the mystery that was left to surround them right. really works for the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of goes with that idea of this is a character who is sort of a representation of taking back your own agency. Oh, yeah. They don't have to give up this information. Absolutely. They don't owe it to anybody. Um, so there, there's so much to unpack there that is really, really interesting. And I just thought, like, just gut reaction, they were just really cool. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, You were talking about or you touched on a little while ago the idea that the Little Mermaid is like the classic fairy tale we know is a misinterpretation, right? A derivative of this this main character, and there is one little bit in the book that uh, where she talks about how I think like a traveling bard came to the kingdom, and it very much seem- very much seemed like a nod to Hans Christian Andersen because mm-hmm. she says you know she sat and talked with this man. And told him about her life and her species. And then later, like, came across the story that he had written that was distilled down into something palatable. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And and there were some other more subtle references, I think, to other fairy tales and folklore. Some that were recognizable. Some that I think were more obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really liked how that was an undercurrent throughout the whole story. Like... You're in this sort of fairy tale world, but nothing is the way you were
1: taught. Right. It is the darkest version of these fairy tales you could imagine. The darkest timeline. Yes, it is the darkest <laughs> timeline of Little Mermaid.
0: <laughs> and what this is, I, I'm sure this was intentional, and it's just a neat little thing that I kept waiting to find out how the the mer creature how she actually got her legs. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that was intentional to keep that vague. And again, to to me, that sort of goes with the idea of the agency and you don't have to disclose all these things. So we learn, we get hints that the prince somehow came across her in the sea, took her, and that there was a witch involved to bind her to him. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's really all we get. Right. Um, and I think in many ways, too, it's like that part of her... Story is over and we are in the moving on phase. Like she is uh, she is here to write her own story. Now, Mm -hmm. her story before was not her own. And now she has control. Yes. So we get her version of her story. Yes. Uh,
0: At the end of the novella, though, there is a sort of short story that talks about her time with the prince Mm -hmm. before the beginning of the salt grows heavy.
1: Oh, that is not in the audiobook Are or you I haven't found that part of the audiobook. Oh. I mean it might be there and I just totally missed it. But um I missed that completely. Oh, maybe that was a print only thing. I don't know. Ooh. Or it's there. I don't want to I don't want to say that it's not there <laughs> because it's very likely that it is and I just Missed it, and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I need a break now, because it was uh, was (laughs) so dark.
0: Very intense to listen to. You're like, I would imagine once it's done, you'll be like, switch it off, I got to go do some." I know. Lighter. Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay, so so for those of you who get the print version, there is a little bit of, there's a little extra tidbit there, Mm -hmm. um, and we will check to... (laughs)
1: I'll check on it
0: in the audio (laughs) book we are not trying to say the audio book folks left anything out
1: (laughs) no absolutely not it's it is very I was literally on a road trip when I listened to it and we were like careening towards Atlanta traffic and I was like it was just getting darker and darker by the minute and I was like all right and and when it finally and, and that's not to say that I wasn't enjoying it but just I'm just the general stress that I was under in that moment in time that I was like, all right, we are done. And uh, so it could it could very easily be there. I will check. I will check for sure.
0: That may not be the last thing you want to potentially <laughs> listen to when you're careening through traffic.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that there is something to be said for these novellas on audiobook. Um a lot of times especially like uh and listen up when we talk about audiobooks we talk about the length of them and how feasible some of them are or how accessible others can be um and the great thing about a horror novella on audiobook is that because it's only a two and a half hour long experience Mm -hmm. it's a good way to try something completely different and not have to like invest like 16 hours of your time into it to be like do I really like this or not I'm not sure try something shorter
0: yeah and I mean and the same goes for the print versions you know it's it's something you could read in an afternoon Mm -hmm. and you're going to get a really good taste of what this author is all about and you can decide if you are okay with a specific type of horror a specific type of content like body horror without getting through an entire book And realizing that that's just not for you.
1: Right. Like um, listening to this, it was a quick way for me to decide that I'm not a big body horror person. (laughs) And that is okay. Yes. Um, But instead of listening to, you know a full 12 hour long well actually I have done that. Um so yeah because I listened to Earthlings on audiobook. Oh, oh man. um which shout out to Earthlings if you are looking for a book that has a similar vibe to Casca, um Earthlings is by Sakaya Murata mm-hmm. and it is you you'll find it in the bookstore. It's got a black cover with this little plushy hedgehog on it. It is the most adorable thing you've ever seen. You pick up this book and you think, this book couldn't possibly hurt me. (laughs) And then you read it and it's, without a doubt, one of the most horrific things I have ever experienced in my life. There is just such profoundly violent scenes in this. There's cannibalism in this. It is, I mean, I really like Japanese literature. So I'm going to preface that. And I've read a lot of their other books and enjoyed them. Um, But this particular one is just so messed up. Yeah. It belongs in the horror section. But if you like cannibalism, if you like the salt grows heavy and you want to go even darker, even deeper. Yeah. Earthlings is here for you. It's
0: and I, I will say just a quick trigger warning simply because. I like Caroline was not prepared. This is not a supernatural book. No. So the the horror and the the horrific crescendo does stem from the characters going through terrible things. Yes, you know, abuse and and different things. So just be aware it it is one that if you're not prepared, it can be a little unexpectedly heavy. But it is an excellent book, and the yes.
1: ending is absolute. Just I don't even know. Mm -hmm. I I just had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the one that I listened to in audiobook. And so I I should have known (laughs) that I'm not a big fan of uh, body gore and cannibalism on audiobook. And yet here I am going back for more.
0: Well, and that is I am finding a subgenre, an area of horror that can itself have a lot of nuance. You can have body horror that is just gore for gore's sake that is out to make you puke your guts out. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But in The Salt Grows Heavy, for example, it can be written so beautifully. Yes. And and, and the context and the atmosphere can be so lush and gorgeous mm-hmm. that you you know you're reading about horrible things, but it is not written in a way that is gonna make you go, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I compare Cascaw to Murata because these are both really, really incredible authors. Like yes. I, I know I'm sitting here being like these this is you know traumatizing to read but I promise you that they are both absolutely spectacular authors and the way that they write is so beautiful and intentional and there's there's so much and so many layers in these books that like you're gonna be a little traumatized Mm -hmm. But it's a good experience. If you have the stomach for it, you should absolutely do it. Yes. So
0: like what everything we're talking about here today, I think, is a fantastic example of all the different dichotomies of horror. Like, yes, you're going to have content that if you just randomly told someone about, I read this book about cannibalism, they're going to be like, what? Mm -hmm. But actually, it is this beautiful piece of work, this beautiful piece of art that is going to make you feel so many things. And by the time you're done reading it, you're like, oh, this is not some horrific, gory thing just for the sake of being gross. This is wonderful literature.
1: Exactly. There, This is not us being like, you should just go, you know, it's not hostile, the movie. Yeah. It's This is real tender stories mm-hmm. that have real meaning and just there's layers to that. Mm-hmm
0: humanity and the experience of being alive through the lens of horror.
1: Yeah We have so many fun things happening at Friendly City Books. Make sure you never miss an event or sale by signing up for our email newsletter at friendlycitybooks.com. Well now that we're past the body horror of it all, <laughs> I think we should talk about Casca's other novella, Nothing but Black and Teeth. Yes. Okay.
0: this is one of my favorite books of all time. Um, the cover is terrifying. I think it's beautiful. Everybody at the bookstore is like, please don't put this face out because it scares them.
1: <laughs> it haunts my dreams. <laughs> I have actually held off on reading this one because the cover scares me so much. I eventually just added it to my audiobook uh, library and the cover existing in my audiobook library <laughs> scares me. But you don't have to see it while you listen. No, you. D- it's the whole screen of my oh. phone and I'm staring at this eyeless <laughs> face that has nothing but a bloody mouth as yeah. I'm listening to it. Yeah. Um it's terrifying.
0: It is. I mean, now don't get me wrong, the the actual artwork is absolutely phenomenal, but mm-hmm. yes,
1: this is this is a creature that
0: if you woke up and saw it at the foot of your bed, you would instantly die, of fright Yes. Um and that's the point because in the book <laughs> it's very very creepy. Um so nothing but black and teeth the basic idea is that this group of friends in their 20s yeah mid 20s mm-hmm. um get together at this abandoned Heian era japanese mansion mm-hmm. for a combined like bachelor bachelorette congratulations to your getting married party Mm -hmm. Um, because they all used to go ghost hunting and like looking through abandoned places together like that was something they liked to do Um, and so this is what one of them cooked up because apparently he was wealthy enough to rent out this entire thing this whole house and they you know they get there we start to get all the little nuances of their group dynamic who's actually friends who who are frenemies who just the ones who straight up don't like each other Mm -hmm. do stuff together and all these things. It's, it's very, it's a
1: very messy friend group as many friend groups are. Oh yeah. Especially at that age. Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) getting six people together who have grown up together and have decades of history Mm -hmm. and they're now full grown adults. There's going to be mess. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and their personal drama is exacerbated
0: and maybe taken a, or, Taken advantage of by the house itself because obviously we are, this is a haunted house story. Woohoo. Um, so the the idea of the house is that long, long ago, when it was built and occupied, in the heyen era, and I have looked that up, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm just disclaimer there. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> uh, when in the house's heyday, um, the daughter of the the family who lived there was getting married. And on her wedding day, her husband, for some reason, just did not show up. She was heartbroken. She waited and waited for him. And I believe requested that she, when he did not come back, that she be buried, entombed in the foundations of the house. And for years and years afterwards, it became a tradition for a bride to be buried. I don't know if it was always buried alive, but buried in the house. So this house is just overrun with the spirits of these women mm-hmm. have become part of it and i think we're assuming most of the time against their will yes <laughs> except for maybe that first lady and so this group of friends is walking into this just having no idea of what all lives there and we get you know this creepy creepy atmosphere of mold and rot and mildew mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk of
1: moisture Ugh. i know for me, I think I loved Nothing But and Teeth even more than The Salt Cross Heavy because Ooh. I think that, A, this is a world that maybe I have more references for of like things that I've read in the past that I can compare to. Um, but also I think that their writing shines so brightly in this novella specifically. They they use these descriptors, um To just amplify the ick and the tension (laughs) in a way that like they're actively weaponizing adjectives and metaphors to make you, the reader, feel uncomfortable and to to have that visceral reaction out of you. And also, there are so many fantastic quotes in this book, and I'm not a person who like grabs quotes from books or underlines mm-hmm. or annotates or anything like that, but like, I was so hooked on the sheer smarts of some of these lines. They describe the main character as having read so much Japanese literature that she had to be hospitalized for her ennui, and as somebody who has read a lot of Japanese literature, ennui is obviously a very, very pervasive theme throughout the the writing. And just the idea that ennui is contagious in that way is just so just clever and and brilliant. And so that really struck with me because I just, I loved it so, so, so much.
0: Um, and you're saying that, and it's about ennui being contagious. And it sort of fits with that, The atmosphere of the house that is created, like the mold, the moisture seeps into everything. The screens that divide the rooms, the books they find, everything is damp. And I hope this makes sense. But that to me fits with the idea
1: that the ennui can just sort of creep and crawl Mm -hmm. and take you over. It's insidious yes. and pervasive and it almost has like this power unto itself where mm-hmm. it's like clawing its way slowly through everything yes. and just being as creepy as humanly possible basically yes. is, is the whole point here.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and again, the way the house sort of preys on them, just as any creepy house would, but also with its own malevolence, mm-hmm. you know, their faults, their fault lines between them, their drama, everything has this aura of, of spreading. And, and creeping and, and grabbing and taking hold. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like a wet spot that yes. slowly like spreads. Oh, <laughs> which is wonderful. Like this book is amazing because it is so disturbing.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: these are we are describing these things and I'm so happy right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But again, I mean, I also listened to this one on audiobook. I listened to it late at night uh, oh, yeah. while I was getting ready for bed. And I was so deep into this. I loved it. I actually <laughs> fell asleep at one point listening to it. Oh my God. And uh, not to the fault of the book. I was just that tired. But like, I actually, <laughs> I can guarantee that even if you fall asleep listening to this book, mm-hmm. there are no nightmares. Well, for me anyways, it didn't translate into like these, like um, these haunted brides weren't chasing me in my right. dreams at least. So it's, it is. <laughs> scary it is atmospheric it is such a deliciously dark vibe but it's not gonna like ruin your life reading this book yes and just as a little bit of a comparison
0: like body horror is not really a focus here there is one one small scene mm-hmm. but overall the the vibe of this book i i would say is more about claustrophobia yeah and being stalked mm-hmm you know, you do eventually get to meet the ghost, the entity, the bride from mm-hmm. the cover of the book, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't want to. Sp- I don't want to spoil who or does or does not get out of the house, who survives, who doesn't survive. You know, those are all things that
1: people will have to find out for themselves. But there's also like a fun <laughs> element too, where like some of the characters at one point, two of the characters are talking, and they actively are like, "No, like." this is a locked room haunted house horror movie and (laughs) we are the characters who will die first. Like we are queer. We, you know, and therefore like we have to take care of ourselves here because Mm -hmm. we're not going to be the final girl. Right. Um, and so there is that kind of meta self-awareness. Yeah. Um, (laughs) that, that it adds a fun element. This is like This feels very like millennial horror, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, I think this speaks to our cultural moment and cultural vibe that we, you know, we appreciate these kinds of things that Casca is putting out because I think it, it kind of feels referential and relatable to us. Yes. And, you know, we're
0: talking about the main character, Kat, and her ennui. And, you know, the it's not a secret in the book that she struggles with mental health right to the point that there are a few few moments in the book where it's almost it almost feels like she is leaning into the terrible things that are happening because they make her feel something right and and that's it's a subtle thing I don't know that that is
1: just in your
0: face in the book but I picked up on it
1: or that it's almost like that she's leaning in because it is familiar in a way like yeah that this is something that she knows and therefore knows how to deal with yeah it a little bit or like it's not necessarily that she knows how to deal with it but that it just it is it is not foreign to her and her experiences
0: and you might also interpret it somewhat as the disconnectedness you can feel from the world when you are in a deep depression mm-hmm. and how that can allow you to walk through really messed up situations and not be crushed by the immediate emotions of them. So there, there's a lot of very interesting things to explore mm-hmm. here with the idea of mental health too, and I, I, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we have talked about nothing but blackened teeth, And this idea of being isolated and sort of claustrophobic in a haunted house setting. So if that sounds like it would appeal to you or if you have read this book and you really liked it, uh, we have some recommendations for things in the similar world, similar vibe. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite horror authors who also writes mostly novellas, um, some short novels, Keelan Patrick Burke. He wrote this novella called The House on Abigail Lane. It is, I'll say it's a haunted house story. It is very interesting. Um, It's a very interesting twist on a haunted house story. People go in, they disappear. We don't know why. You see the house over the years as it's inhabited and neglected and inhabited and neglected. And it, it was just fantastic. It's kind of a slow burn. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, He also has a new short story, or no, I'm sorry, he has a new novella out called Guests Mm -hmm. about a group of people trapped in a hotel during a blizzard. Of course, you're going to get some Shining vibes there, but unlike in The Shining, another guest shows up, and they are evil, Mm -hmm. and that's that's what we're going to leave that at. And also, just sort of on the short novella train, uh, another one of his novellas... Uh, that is one of my favorites. It's called Sour Candy. Um, so this isn't quite Haunted House. But again, if you're trying to just find short works to sort of get to know an author, this is a really good one. Um, you've got creepy children. You've got some teeth falling out. You have eldritch bees. Ugh. Yeah, it's wild. Um, so Keelan Patrick Burke, The House on Abigail Lane, Guests, and Sour Candy. I think if you like Cast Call and you like nothing but blackened teeth, those are a good next step.
1: Yeah, and then on a non-horror-related side of things, so as I was talking about earlier, you know, the, the idea of Japanese literature, having these themes of, um, being dark and unsettling, oftentimes exploring kind of the underbelly of society or deviation from society. The vegetarian by Hong Kang Mm -hmm. was one that I was constantly thinking about when I was reading blackened teeth, because there is just this element of dread and unraveling in that book, Ooh. that reminds me so much of just the overall vibe of Black and Teeth. Mm. But then on top of that, you also get those elements of kind of exploring subversion and class and gender dynamics. You know, you have wealth disparity between these um, between these friends. You also have relationships and all these sorts of things that make it a little bit messy. And I, I think that it's a very cool way to kind of bridge the gap between horror and literary if you kind of think about the vegetarian as that bridge mm-hmm. and then the other one is not creepy at all but is more of just a really really fun adventure story it's Blackwater sister by Zencho so Je- Zencho is a queer Malaysian author who writes tons of really great books including novellas predominantly fantasy mm-hmm. um, and Blackwater sister was one where I felt like the main character in Black and Teeth could just be dropped right into Mm -hmm. Blackwater Sister and they would have just gotten along stupendously. (laughs) It is this mythological kind of darker fantasy, but it's very real world. Like the main character's grandmother is haunting her and her grandmother's like, I need you to do these things for me. Like basically she goes on an adventure through the city to try to like fight demigods and appease others. And like, it's this whole exploration into this world that um, you don't get a lot. Mm -hmm. And so a very, very fun, but kind of a lighter version of this book, if you will. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. So yeah, I think it's safe to say that we love Cast Call. Yes. (laughs) Um, It has been so fun uh, reading their work, watching them grow as an author that I I always love that with books and music. You know, when you you find an artist that you love, you listen to their work or read their work over over time. And you know, not to say that there was anything wrong with the beginnings, but you know, you just you watch them grow. You watch their style change, or uh, you watch them make different choices, and it's just. For me, it's like my thought is always, I'm so proud of you. Does mm-hmm. that
1: make sense? Or it's like you feel like you know them on this level because mm-hmm. you've been there from, you know, kind of the early days of yeah. whatever their creative work is. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're seeing that growth and progression. But you feel like you've been a part of it, too, a little bit because yeah. you are the reader that has been seeing them every step of the way.
0: Yes. And they have another book coming out later this year. They've co-written with Richard Kadri. Um, it's going to be a dark horror story. There's magic. There's monsters. They're saying it's good for fans of Neil Gaiman and Joe Hill. Ooh. Two
1: authors I love. So I'm very excited about that. We will keep y'all updated. Oh, I forgot to also say. So one thing that stood out to me when um, we were looking at these books, The Salt Grows Heavy and Nothing But Black and Teeth, is that both of them have blurbs on the cover by N.K. Jemisin. Yes. N.K. Jemisin is one of my favorite sci-fi authors. They do a really good job of like blending between sci-fi and fantasy. And I just, I loved that N.K. Jemisin is the one who's doing these blurbs because I just I imagine them vibing in just the best possible way yeah. because there is this kind of like young exploratory unafraid to try different things break down different barriers not be defined by genre mm. or your past work, um, kind of trying all these different things and just just seeing what speaks to you. I love that in my mind, Enki Jameson and Cascar are basically best friends. So I'm just so happy to see this. And it just really made my day because one more wonderful author that we get to talk about here.
0: Yes, exactly. So if any of y'all ever want to talk to us at Friendly City Books about any authors at all, we'll be glad to do it. So yeah, I think that wraps up this episode of hot possum horror thank you caroline for talking with me about cast call and these deliciously creepy books thank you and uh we will see y'all next time happy reading stay creepy happy reading This episode of Hot Possum Horror was produced and hosted by Rachel D'Erice and co-hosted by Caroline Barbie. Music is by Hartle Road. Hot Possum Horror is part of the Friendly City Books podcasting network.
1: Hey there, it's Caroline. Thanks for listening. Support Friendly City Books and other independent bookstores like us by shopping online at bookshop.org and libro.fm. Find us on social media at Friendly City Books. And don't forget to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy reading!